going on? Welcome to another edition of the Live Life Dressing Show. Mike Mahler, Sincere Hogan. Um, hey, man. What's going on? It's been a minute, actually. So even though the episodes have been dropping like weekly for everyone else, it's been a minute since we've been on. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a couple, not technical difficulties, but just life events where we couldn't record. But that's okay. I think this is going to be our last episode for the year, and we have a great guy. I've been on his show before, and we've had some fun discussions, so we'll look forward to talking to him in a second. Now, we're going to be talking about some pretty serious stuff initially in the show. But before that, we got to talk about some funny stuff first. And I just want to make a recommendation because we're going to get this guy on the show first. There's a comedian named Jim Florentine, and he has two things to check out, terrorizing telemarketers. And he also has these rants that he does on a podcast. And I think they're super funny. Some of you listening may think they're dumb. Even <laughs> <laughs> Some of you are going to find it amusing, and we all have to have something to laugh at because there's so much serious stuff that we all deal with, especially those of us that are involved with different causes to help people, animals, etc. Sometimes you got to have some levity, and this has been a great source of levity for me. And the funniest rant was one I shared with you, Sincere, where he talks about that Jermaine Dupri song, You Don't Have to Take Your Clothes Off. We don't have to take our clothes off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And he goes, yeah. yes, you do. Yes, you have to take your clothes off to have a good time. He goes, if my son asks me, hey, dad, can you have a good time without taking your clothes off? Nah, you can have an okay time. <laughs> but once the clothes come off, <laughs> now you can have a great time. <laughs> that, that rant was so funny, man. It just had me cracking up. So anyway, check out check out Jim Florentine. He's on iTunes. He's on YouTube. He does he does stand up as well. He travels all over the country, and I've I've actually reached out to him to get him on the show because his terrorizing telemarketers is so brilliant, man. I'd love to talk to him about just the behind the scenes of how they put this stuff together, and if also if if anyone has ever, you know, one guy threatened to come kick his ass. He was so mad. He's like he's like you know what? I have your address. I'm gonna come over there tomorrow. I'm gonna beat your ass. He's like, all right, come on over. <laughs> I got it over it's ever led to some kind of face to face confrontation. Or if or if you let people afterwards like, hey man, we're just pulling a gag, we're making this. I'm just curious to know the behind the scenes stuff. So anyway, look forward to that one probably in January. But today we have a great guest. We have a very inspiring guy, Namai Delgado. No relation to Nick Delgado, I might add. Some of you may be thinking that. <laughs> And he has one of the best physiques around, and he's never eaten meat. He's been vegan for several years, but he's been vegetarian his entire life. So we're going to talk to him about his nutrition, his training regimen. But before we do that, we're going to get this conversation going by talking about the Nakavali refugee camp in Uganda. And what this is, is it's a refugee camp where they take in Africans from other parts of the continent that are generally in worn, torn parts of the world, world over there, Congo, et cetera. So these people have had their families killed and they have nowhere to go. They have to flee their countries. So Uganda has always been known as a country that's very welcoming to refugees. And there's about 120,000 refugees in this camp. So it's, it's massive. It's huge. Now there's several organizations that work with helping them get supplies, medical supplies, food, basic necessities. The American Refugee Committee is one of them. So there are several clips on YouTube that detail what happens at these camps, the day-to-day lives. And one that really stuck out with me was about a group of guys who created their own weightlifting facility out of whatever was found around. They made their own barbells. They made their own dumbbells. They made their own benches for doing bodyweight exercises. And these guys have great physiques, even though they're probably subsisting on 
what's called ugali out there, which is cornmeal, rice, potatoes. They even said in the episode that most of the time they're hungry. They barely have enough food to eat, yet these guys still train hard and they still have great physiques. And I, I think every American watching that clip who's ever been too lazy to go to the gym that just complains about, oh, but healthy food is so boring. Oh, I don't want to work out. You should be ashamed of yourself when you watch this clip. Because these people, forget about their training regimen and what they're doing. Just think about their path coming into the place. One guy talked about how his brother was killed right in front of them. One lady talked about how her son was killed right in front of her. You know, this is the kind of traumas they're dealing with. And they found that working out together or just working out in general helps them escape all of that. It's like a meditation. It's a reprieve where when they're training, they're not thinking about all the horrors they've been through. They're just getting it. So it's empowering for them. It gives them an identity because there's no jobs over there. These people are just refugees that subsist off the generosity of people that make donations, organizations like American Refugee Committee, etc. So without something to do each day, something to focus on, you could you could imagine it would be maddening. But when you look at the results they've managed to manifest, given the conditions they're in, it just shows you that. Getting strong and fit is not as complicated as a lot of people like to make it. We always talk about you got to have the perfect macronutrient breakdown. I'm so tired of hearing about macronutrient breakdown. If one more person posts a fucking post on Instagram about your macros, you know, I'm going to blow my gas. <laughs> and then we have <laughs> in your macros. You can eat whatever you want. No, you can't. That's stupid. But fuck macros. <laughs> you guys are eating rice. They're probably not even, they're probably not even getting, they're probably taking in 10 grams of protein every day when you add it all up and they're still making progress. So where, right. where, where I'm going with this whole thing is I was so inspired by this that initially the first thing I wanted to do was put together a fundraiser to get them real gym equipment. And then I came across an actual fundraiser for that purpose, but it was from a year ago. So before I made a donation, I just contacted them and said, Hey, is this still valid? Is there another page? Haven't heard back from anyone. Contacted American Refugee Committee. I go, here's what I want to do. I want to finance gym equipment for these guys as well as finance food. Let's, let's donate some rice, potatoes, oatmeal, the basics. Because when these guys are so malnourished, anything they take is going to be effective for them. It's going to help them. So anyway, I haven't heard back from any of that. So I'm just going to keep going down this pipeline until I get some kind of response. But then I started thinking even bigger than that. Obviously, what I just said are the, the first things these people need gym equipment and staples, good nutrition. But I'd like to take it a step further and go to this refugee camp personally, teach a course, weight training technique, nutrition, et cetera. And then I started thinking, well, why don't the three of us do that? Sincere can teach body weight training. You're an expert at that. Namai, you're an expert on nutrition and bodybuilding, and they would be so inspired by your physique. I think they would be inspired by the three of us, given that none of us eat meats. We're all plant-based. These people are plant-based, not necessarily by choice. You know, in their right. mind, they're thinking, okay, if we had eggs and chicken and beef and so forth, we'd be so much stronger, this and that and so forth. I think they would find it very inspirational that the three of us don't eat meat at all, and that if we can get them just these staples I talked about, it would make a huge difference. And then forget about just donating food. I'd love to be able to set up some kind of farming situation where they can grow their own crops so they can subsist off that and not rely on the general. I mean, it's, it's, 
I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are happy to be generous, but you got to get these people self-sufficient because one of the biggest mistakes a lot of charities have made is when there's a famine, sure, flood as much food in there as possible. That's a life-death situation. But what you don't want to do is send in all these crops that are really cheap because they're subsidized because it hurts the local farming out there. Now they can't sell anything because everyone's getting food for free. So no one's buying rice locally or potatoes locally, et cetera. So anyway, those, those are complexities that none of us have to worry about at this point. But I just wanted to throw that idea out there. We don't have to do it next year. We don't have to do it at all. <laughs> but I, I, I feel very strongly that I need to get out there in person. First thing I want to do is help them get gym equipment, help them get food. But after that, I, I think not only would it be inspirational for them, it would be incredibly inspiring for me. Now, the, the only issue I would have with going out there is I don't want to have to use the toilet the whole time I'm out there. So I think I would do a seven-day fast. I would be not eat anything. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the biggest impediment I can think of. But anyway, I, I, think, I just wanted to see what you guys think about that, get some feedback. Oh man! What, first Mike. of all, what's up, guys? How's it going? Uh, Mike, and oh, yeah, thanks yeah. for having yeah. me on. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike. Mike was on a roll, dude. I didn't want to interrupt him. Uh, but first of all, thank you, yeah. thank you for having me on the show, guys. I really do appreciate it, and thanks for that um, humbling introduction, Mike. Um, and thank you for thank you for showing me these guys, dude. Like, I can't explain. You know, bodybuilding in itself is something that requires a lot of. Uh, discipline and sometimes you have to self-motivate whether you want to or not and seeing right. videos like this like the one you showed me it was yeah. so motivating to to really give me a sense of perspective you know that bodybuilding for me is a luxury you know it, it's right. something that I take advantage of I have the option to go to the gym I have the option to go get some food around the corner I have grocery stores that are available to me I have all these resources and I choose to do it because it's a luxury and I enjoy it for these right. guys it is their escape. You know, they're, they're in such a terrible situation and, and they're, some of them had their families ripped apart and they're in this refugee camp and this is their meditation. Like this is what keeps them going. And to see right. these guys who don't do it for, you know, for money, for fame, uh, for status, like you see a lot of like fitness influencers or bodybuilders do it. They right. do it purely out of love and out of necessity for survival because that is their coping mechanism. And it's just inspiring to see these guys and the physiques they've built and the equipment they've managed to manufacture. And like, for me, coming from like, it, like an engineering background, mechanical engineering background, I, I really like appreciate the, the mechanics behind some of their, their machines. I saw one, it was like a bike, uh, chain with like, uh, yeah. uh, you know, like a little gear and it was like a pulley system. And I was like, man, this is so cool. Yeah. Like, I, I really appreciate that stuff. So their ingenuity and determination is just like flat out inspiring. If you haven't watched a video, Posted in a link to this to this podcast. Everybody has to yeah. see this. Definitely, yeah, we'll definitely do that. No, I agree, man. That pulley system for the lat pull down that was ingenious. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, wow. just the ingenuity of these guys, the creativity, because they literally just had to grab whatever was around and just start. They don't even know what stuff weighs. That's what they said. They're bench pressing whatever yeah. this barbell is. They don't even know what it weighs. They're like, oh well, this is heavy enough. Let's go. <laughs> 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 Before we get to all this equipment, it's like, hey, don't get rid of that equipment just yet. Keep that stuff. We're going to send you some quality squat racks and barbells and dumbbells and kettlebells and whatever we can get you, bands, et cetera. But let's keep what you guys have, too, because that stuff 
works and it's and i would like to use it i'd like to have i'd like to film some clips of me using that gym they have over there yeah definitely keeps it authentic for sure <laughs> gives it a sense of character for yeah, sure but exactly. these guys i mean the, like you said the the not knowing how much things weigh i mean that's just an afterthought you know to them it's more about getting into the ceremony or the the, the habit and Ritual. the actual movement of, of doing these exercises and nobody knows this better than like bodybuilders or true people that um, use it as an escape. It's a form of meditation. And yes. it is, I mean, meditating is, is literally just hyper-focusing on one thing, you know, whether right. it be thought, whether that be breath, whether it be being still, or it could be in movement and in, in flow, you know? So for them, this is their meditation. And it, it's just, yeah, it's just so inspiring. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. What about you, Sincere? It makes you, you really rethink. It makes you really rethink about the whole. You know, everybody gets in all these arguments online, playing by okay, what what's the best tool to do this? And you know, oh man, I got to have my pre workout before this, or I got to make sure I'm getting this amount of protein each and every day. I'm just like, dude, while you're sitting there arguing and having flame wars back and forth on Twitter, these guys over here getting ripped with whatever the hell they can find. He just picked up right. a stone out of the dirt right now, and he's doing overhead lifts. He's doing overhead presses, you know, and the only thing you've lifted is pretty much your fingers that start typing on your keyboard or on your phone to talk about, you know, your macros and what's working you today, man. Shut up, dude. <laughs> well, just because of you that, your body is very adaptive in that even though these guys have limited fuel, limited food, they're, they're, you're, they're, because they're working out, their body is taking whatever they're giving it and using it to right. make themselves stronger and so forth. And sometimes we get so fixated on these perfect, and I, I've been guilty of that myself in the past. But <clears throat> when you think about it, micronutrients matter more than macronutrients. So if you're gaining 60% of your calories from carbohydrates, and it's fruits, vegetables, potatoes, brown rice, that's a big difference than ice cream, twi uh, Oreos. <laughs> exactly. So when I hear people say, as long as you, you're within these macronutrient ratios, you're fine. You can do whatever you want. That's not true because that food is garbage. It's not giving you anything. It's a waste. If you had fruits and vegetables instead of Oreos, cookies, and crackers, all this other crap, you're giving your body a ton of nutrition and micronutrients, which is going to help you recover. It's going to improve your brain health. It's going to improve your gut health versus overly processed garbage, which is just pure sugar. That's going to cause insulin resistance. It's going to mess up your gut biome microbiome exactly inflammation yeah so let's focus yeah who cares about macronutrients let's focus on healthy food if you're eating nuts seeds fruits vegetables don't worry about the exact ratios you'll 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 find that you naturally gravitate towards what your body needs and what i mean is some days i naturally want more carbohydrates and i eat and i just go with it other days i want more fat i just go with it so you want to get to the point where it's more intuitive like that. In the beginning, just focus on eating as much healthy food as possible and let the ratios fall where they may. And then you can fine tune it over time. But don't get overly pedantic about it. That's the whole point here. That's the whole point of bringing up these Nakavali refugees is that they're in a situation where they don't have the luxury, like Namai said, of just eating whatever they want in whatever quantity they want. They have to subsist on whatever is available. And some days it's barely enough to just get through the day. And that's what one of the guys said. He goes, we would, we would be making much better progress if we actually had more food because a lot of times we're tired because we don't have enough to eat. 
You know, think about the last and time. Meanwhile, you're looking at you're looking at this guy while you're saying that. And you're looking like, damn, dude, how much more progress do you need? You know, because this dude is jacked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his chest is popping out. His arms are all ripped. Exactly. Imagine if these guys had forget about protein powder and stuff like that. Just just optimal calories. Imagine if they just had enough food where they're going, okay, we're energetic. We can we can have oatmeal after working out to recover. We can have potatoes in the morning to get us energized. Just enough fuel so that you're not just suffering through the day and trying to get by. It just, it just, yeah. it just puts a lot in perspective. Where you know, I've been to India and I've been to a lot of these countries as a kid, and that 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 really helped me with not falling into these traps of luxury proms, complaining about stupid stuff. The gardener didn't arrive on time, you know, things like that. All these dumb discussions you hear. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not guilty of complaining about dumb stuff, luxury proms either. But generally, whenever I do, at some point, the thought comes into my mind of people that are poor in India, because poor in India means you have no clothes, you live in dirt, and no one cares about helping you. There's nowhere for you to go. There's no homeless shelter where you're going to get a free meal. Nothing. Yeah, and you're probably homeless. You're probably living living on the streets and, you know, all that's going in there as well, man. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I think, like you said, Mike, it really puts things in perspective to think about the load of bullshit we've been fed for the past, you know, decade about yeah. or a few decades about, you know, proper nutrition and, and everything like that. And the supplement industry particularly, because look at these guys. I mean, these guys' physiques are a testimony to literally just hard work. And I mean, just getting enough substance of food through a plant-based diet, I would assume a primarily plant-based diet based off of what's available to them. Um, and like you said, it, it kind of puts to rest this, this bullshit theory of like, you know, you must have one to two grams of protein per pound of body weight in order to build any kind of substantial muscle mass. But these guys are killing it. And yeah. I think that should put that theory just, I mean, to rest. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to get a grip on what exactly they eat. I would assume it's mainly like starches, uh, like cereals or, or maize or yeah, uh, sweet potatoes meal. and things like that. Yeah, a lot of, okay. yeah, a lot of starches. Like, yeah, cassava yeah. and things. Yeah, and like you said, Mike, I mean, a lot of those things are filled with micronutrients, which are important. And they, don't get me wrong, those things do have protein. And if you eat enough of them, you can easily meet your, your, you know, your recommended protein or enough protein to build muscle and sustain whatever mass you have. But the benefit of having those meals as opposed to more of the animal-based products is the micronutrients that you get along with it. You know, the things like people don't really talk about, like magnesium, like zinc, uh, right. those types of minerals that really help facilitate all kind of metabolic functions. And that's typically what goes untalked about, you know? Yeah. So some of these foods that they are eating may be a little bit more nutrient dense. Uh, well, well, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure their, their soil is a lot richer than ours. So I'm pretty sure they're getting a much better quality of magnesium and zinc than we, than we're getting over here where we're pretty much magnesium and zinc deficient in this country, you know, just because of our topsoil sucks. You know, so that's one advantage I'm sure they have for us. Yeah, the food they're eating may not even be, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud. The food they're eating may not even be, be, it might not even be being out there. It may be imported from here or other parts of the world. Oh, I'm just, I'm just theorizing. You may be right, too. It may be a combination of both. But where was I going to go with this? With, with, in addition to one of the benefits they have, even though they're not getting, everything they need nutrition wise think about what they're not getting 
no sodas, no candy bars, no processed junk, no Kool-Aid, all that garbage that a lot of people eat out here in the developed world. I mean, they may eat it if they had access to it. They'd probably eat anything that anyone gave them because if they had access to it, but they don't have access to it. In some ways, that's to their benefit because they may not be getting yeah, the even that stuff. What they're eating is real food. Nothing, nothing but right. real food. And of course, there's people listening like, well, yeah, I don't eat any of that stuff. You know, I eat, you know, pretty much, you know, I take my supplements and I eat, you know, these protein bars and these protein shakes and yada, yada, yada. And a lot of that stuff has that same stuff that you just mentioned in it as well. So again, right. they don't have access to that. So even, even if they were eating healthy, quote unquote, the way that Americans do who are very fitness oriented, they probably still being well off not having that stuff as well. Right. Because there's so many other fillers and junk that's in all this so-called healthy food as well. There's also a level of mental toughness that comes with what they've been through. When you yeah. when you suffered through stuff like they've suffered through, this guy's brother dying in front of him. This one older lady was talking about her son being killed in front of her. Yeah, it, it, he said it just hurts his soul thinking about it. But it also right. makes him extremely mentally tough to keep pushing on. And I think lifting weights is very empowering to him because – just think about how we all feel when we get stronger. It's a super high. You go lift something you never lift before, you're on cloud nine. It feels great. It feels great to commit to a process, and then you get these results. It feels great to have a goal, and then you bring it to fruition. Now, in their circumstance, it's, it's even more pronounced. It's even more important. It gives them some control over their lives. Here's all these things that have happened to me, but I'm going to take that and use it to fuel these workouts, to make progress, to, to, to get stronger and feel I have some control. Because this really, yeah. you know, it, it would be very yeah. understandable for those guys that, you know, to be angry and, you know, or to, you know, just be extremely depressed or really just, you know, blaming the world for everything. They're in a, they're in a position to do that, you know, where Absolutely. it would be like, you know, they have that, they have that space to do, to feel that way, you know, going through the things that they're, they've gone through. But yet and still, they've taken those things to actually use those as their strengths and help them persevere and not be someone that's looking to, you know, just take it out on the world or whatever else. But again, use it in a positive way. And so to me, that's that was one of the things that really got me. It's like, dude, you know, they're not real. They're not playing this victim mentality. And if anybody has an excuse to play a victim mentality, they have it, man. <laughs> you know, it wasn't because their girl broke up with them, you know, or, you know, some some chick on the strip turned them down and, you know, <laughs> something like that. And so it's not it's nothing even remotely like that. So, yeah, some, yeah, yeah I think all, like you mentioned, like you mentioned, Mike, too, it gives them a sense of control over an uncontrollable situation. Right. Like right. they can manage to go to the gym and really focus their energy towards something and see tangible results which is inspiring because that's a testament to their willpower, to their mental toughness, and it could inspire other people as well, even within that community. Even if they don't lift weights, it could still be inspiring to the young, uh, the younger generation of kids in that, that camp and inspire them to say, like, you know, against all odds, I can still achieve something. You know, right. regardless of my circumstances, I can look to these guys who are doing something positive uh, from a negative situation and maybe inspire the, the, the people that are looking at them, you know? Yeah, 100%. Well, that's what I'd I mean, like you, to You've do. experienced it. I mean, you guys have experienced it, too. I mean, it, your, your physique is a testament of your hard work, your discipline, your determination. I mean, that right. stuff doesn't just happen. You know, you just don't happen upon a, a, a world-class physique like some of these guys have. I mean, that takes hard work. So it's yeah. very noticeable. Like, you can't tell uh, a doctor just by looking at a doctor. 
you know, that's inspiring in right. itself. Um, right. But you can tell a bodybuilder just by looking at him, you know, flat yeah. out, you can tell right away. So that just always sparks up a conversation like, oh, what do you do? You look great. You know, yeah. I mean, all of those things are inspiring to other people once they have those conversations because, I mean, you had them since you're, you've had them as well. It, it's just, it's a natural occurrence. People look to those right. figures like strong, you know, action figures and want to know what they do. It's inspiring. 100%. Yeah, that's very well said. What I would like to do is film, not only go out there and teach a course, film the whole thing, interview a lot of these guys, film that, and just build, just use this as a way to, as a mechanism to just build a ton of awareness and inspire people over here. Because a lot of people, they just, if, you, if you've never been to these places, you're not going to think about it. You're not going to be like, oh, you know what? I shouldn't feel bad. I shouldn't feel bad. There's these people over here. And you can watch it on YouTube, but you're disconnected. You're watching it in the comfort of your home and you're looking at a TV. So the second that TV goes off, most people are just going to go back to whatever they were thinking about. And that's just, that's just human nature. But I can promise you this. If the three of us go over there, it's going to be transformative for each of us personally. 100% about that. You, you will not be the same person coming out of there. And it's, I know, and I, I mean that. In, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get my wife. You know, she actually went on a, a mission trip to Uganda, and she wasn't the same. She came back, and it really made me want to go. And now yeah. you have this situation, which is very much closer to who I am and where I come from, and the background that I have. Just it just motivates me more to want to go over there. And for me, you know, also I think one of the benefits of filming something like this, this experience, and, and showing this for me, what it really helps is for people who are in very at-risk, underprivileged areas here in the U.S., where right. they are in food deserts, where they have they pretty much don't have access to a Whole Foods or, you know, or a community garden or anything like that. And then pretty much they have all these crappy restaurants on every corner. You know, every corner is a freaking jack-in-the-box, Popeye's chicken, McDonald's, you know, or right. they're getting their groceries from the likes of Walmart, even though Walmart is slowly but surely stepping up their, their grocery game you know, in order to keep up with the Whole Foods, you know, out there. But yeah. – it's good. It's inspiring for people in these areas who pretty much, even though they're over here in America, they're pretty much living in the same conditions as these guys are. They're the same ones that are witnessing, you know, their brothers and family members being murdered right in front of them, you know, and right. where pretty much they don't know where their next meal is coming from. They're, they're just hoping that they can go to, you know, get some help from the local food bank or government assistance or something like that. They're in the exact same situation. And the right. thing is, some, some people look like these guys that we're talking about. And some don't, some look the total opposite. And you look at them and think like, how did you get in this situation? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, but it's happening in America. You know, that, that poverty line doesn't care what you look like, what your ethnic background is. And, and so I feel like by doing this, it also inspires them to be like, Hey man, it can be done. It can be done. You don't have to use excuses like, well, I can't afford to go to a gym. I'm just, I'm just hoping that I can actually just get a job somewhere or something like that. Right. You can still take care of yourself because it's hard to get it. It's hard to go out and work when your body is not workable, you know, when yeah. you're tired and you're worn out yeah. and, you, and you're starving and, you know, and you're worried about your kids and what they're going to eat first because, of course, you're going to, most likely you're going to make sure that they eat before you do. But the thing is, how can you take care of them when you don't have the energy and the nutrients going in your body to give you that energy to go out there and make something happen in order to take care of your family? So it becomes this never-ending, this, this, this snowball effect over and over. So I think, like I said, that kind of, that really would give them hope because it's really, They'll look at people like, you know, here in America, they can look at guys like us like, oh, well, you were born that way. That's just the first thing people say. Well, you know, you, you've got it good. You don't understand what I'm going through. Well, look, check these dudes out. They know what you're going through. <laughs> right. So now you really have, you can't say anything. Well, I should go, 
excuses. I mean, that could even be the name of the documentary, you know, the Nakavali refugees, no excuses, because any excuse you have is squashed. Just just forget about the documentary. You go watch that five minute clip on YouTube. Give me some excuses. Try to come back. (laughs) Nowhere to go. There's no excuse you can bring up. What are you going to say? Well, they're genetically gifted. Come on, these guys barely. These guys eat less than one in one me- in, in their entire day than the average person has in a meal here. Look, man, these dudes these dudes are following intermittent fasting, not by choice. Okay, they're ahead of all the trends, right? They've been vegan their exactly. entire life. So the warrior diet. Oh yeah, these dudes can tell you about the warrior diet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not even realizing it, you know, they they probably don't even consider themselves plant based because. I, when I was in Kenya and, and you would tell someone that you're vegan out there and in there and to, to them, you're super wealthy, right? Anyone that comes over there to visit, they would just look at you like there's something wrong with you. They're like, you don't eat meat. Come you're on, going to on purpose. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, would assume, I would assume, especially out there too, it's considered like a luxury to have those meats well, available or those types of products. You know, that's yeah. like kind of an elitism, um, like cuisine. Right, it like is maybe the, yeah, the, the just lower. Just my wife. You know, yeah, yeah, like the yeah, low class the people. My wife eat, like the they have and, like they they yeah. have chicken once a year. They have chicken once wow. a year in the village that I was staying in, and and they all celebrate that. And there's one chicken for the for everyone in that village. <laughs> you right. know, whereas over here you got chicken buffets right around the corner from my apartment right now. <laughs> yeah. There's a heart's chicken buffet. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, your average bodybuilder eats a chicken a day. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably eats a cow a day. <laughs> These guys who do three grams per body pound and so forth. Then you got to carry a Lysol right. can with you because you're farting on command every two seconds. But but I think it would be cool if I mean I, I think it would be really inspiring for them. Just but first of all, I think it would be inspiring for them just for three of us to even come out there just to come visit them. They'd be like, wow, that's cool that these guys came out because you can tell when you, when you watch other people, other luminaries go out there and do whatever they do. There's this one guy I started following on Instagram. He's a dance instructor from Florida. And there's a clip about him that the American refugee committee filmed that he went out to Uganda and he, he, he did all these dance moves with these kids and other people there. It was really cool. And you could tell how excited they were just that he showed up. And then there was an Olympic. Actually, it was that clip that I sent you guys. There's that yeah, Olympic app. Uh, and yeah. even though this guy is, once they meet him and they learn about his background, it's incredibly inspiring for them. He's showing them clips of what he does on their on their phones, etc. So I think I think us just even showing up and talking to them would be inspiring. Teaching them stuff, they would be on cloud nine. It'd be more inspiring for us, honestly, than for them. I think by by, by the time this trip is over, and this could be something where all of our significant others come with us. We could make this a trip. We can go do a gorilla trek in Uganda, which is really fun. Yeah. And there's a lot of cool stuff to do out there. It doesn't have to be a trip where we just go to the refugee camp for a couple of days and then go home. You know, it's a long flight out there, so it's a chance to want a safari and things like that. So anyway, I'm just I'm just throwing ideas out there because this is something where I want to do as much as possible for these guys as I can. I think obviously the first step is help them get gym equipment because that seems to be something they really want. And then try to find a steady supply of food so they're more nourished mm-hmm. and not them. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe even like bring in somebody that's that's well versed in like permaculture or something like that to help Absolutely. give them some that's kind of sustainability. Good. 
after we leave, yeah. you know, yeah. so maybe exactly. it, it could even be focused about like more of the, the healthier foods that would facilitate guys like that going to their, you know, their homemade gym and, and helping them with their games, but not, all, not all, right. only that, providing them with the proper nutrition uh, for the community right. as well. Cause like, like you were saying, like, I mean, the, the thing about, you know, the human spirit is, is like once the human spirit gives out, then death is not far behind. You know, so to go over there and instill some sort of inspiration in in this community that already has been beaten down and have their lives ripped away from them and in terrible circumstances, that is like the most important part is keeping that spirit alive and giving them something to look forward to, whether it's lifting weights, just something, you know. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, education and vocational training, that's also things they need because otherwise they're stuck at this refugee camp for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And someone, some of them basically, that was their conclusion is that I'm just going to live out the rest of my life here because they don't see any hope. They don't see what they can do. They can't go back to their home country and they don't have any skills necessarily to do anything out there. So that's another problem is that it's great that this refugee camp is there, but you don't want it to be something where they're indoctrinated that think that this is all they're ever going to do in life. So there's got to be, but they, you know, those are a few steps down the line. First steps before yeah, are, mentioned. but down the line, I'm thinking, okay, what can we do to improve the quality of life as well? And even for, you know, even just for the fact that where they are, there's very high risk around that area because, you know, you have, you know, Uganda surrounded by some very, High risk areas where they're, you know, yeah. they're taking kids and turn them into child soldiers and all that. So even right. I can even help with just right. personal defense, you know, even yeah. just with, you know, Absolutely. even though I know they're limited when it comes to weapons over there, you know, teach them empty hand defense, you know, and how to use improvised weapons and, you know, and pretty much have like risk assessment and how to work together as, you know, community like, okay, pretty much if this happens, you know, this is where we're going to go. This is where we're going to, you know, this person, you're in charge of this, you're in charge of, you know, trauma in case of this. So you learn just simple things as how to use a tourniquet and how to turn something into a tourniquet, you know, even though you may not have like the tourniquets that we have access to here in America, you know, how to make, have a makeshift tourniquet or something like that, because injuries happen. Even if you're out there farming, injuries are going to happen. You know, right. you know, you get, right. you got sharp objects out there. These little kids are, you know, pro- they're going to probably go out and help as well. And that's when things can happen. So there's no sense in someone dying from a cut, you know, from going out and you're out, you're out tilling the garden or something like that, you know, so teach them just basic trauma care and little things right. like that, man. So, it's just so it's the the possibilities are so freaking endless, oh, endless. and these are so many resources that they could utilize that we take for granted each and every day <clears throat> that we have access to. Right. So many people would want to get involved, especially when a few people spearhead it. I can imagine a lot of vegan protein companies donating tons of product, which would right. be extremely useful as well. And so I, I could just imagine a lot of people wanting to be involved in something like this. The key is those. Someone has to spearhead it because nobody wants to do that. It always takes one. It takes one first. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing yeah. how a lot of people don't want to be the first, but soon yeah. someone you know takes that chance. They're like, "Hey, man, I'm with you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. He's like, "That's a great idea, guys. Where are we going?" Oh man, so it'd be cool. But let, let's let's talk about you, Namiable. What would let, let's let's use this as a as a segue. So if you were out here in this camp talking about nutrition what would your nutrition philosophy be talking to these folks man that's a tough question um i think first of all i'd have to get an understanding of what exactly is available to them because i can't go on there talking about 
you know, the typical foods that I normally eat just because it might not, it might be foreign to them. Um, obviously the first thing about nutrition is is adequate calories, right? Which might, that's probably the biggest hurdle that they would have to overcome is is getting adequate calories and choosing calories wisely. Like you said, I mean, they would probably eat, you know, or or gladly eat whatever they could get their hands on. Um, and unfortunately a lot of the really calorie dense foods have no nutritional value. So getting them to understand that choosing your food based off of the package that it comes with is more important than how many calories it has. Because like you said, Mike, I mean, macros don't mean shit when you talk about like, Oh, if it fits your macros uh, or making it fit, you know, like I can, I can hit my, my calorie goals really easily just by drinking a a tub of oil, you know, (laughs) like I can, I can reach 2000 calories really easily, but what are my, what are my nutrients that I'm getting from that? You know, so getting them, getting them to understand that, you know, the package of, of your, your nutrition is more important than the calories would probably be the number one thing. Yeah. Then you talk about, you know, choosing, you know, even worrying about protein because most of the plant-based sources that they have available to them do have some amounts of protein. And like, you know, you, I forget what the RDA, RDA requirement is for like a sedentary person, it's like 40, 50 grams. It's, it's not that much. So. Just hitting that limit would be enough to help sustain them, but uh, obviously selecting sources that not only have like adequate protein, but you know the micronutrients available as well. Right, right. Legumes, nuts, and seeds. We could get stuff like that to people. That would, I mean, that would be like them taking steroids. You know, look at what they've accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would love to see those guys with proper, oh, no. you know, a, a full proper nutrition plan. Give them almond butter and pistachios and lentils and chickpeas and and they said they eat that for a couple of months they would they would just blow up <laughs> they would think they're on some kind of anabolic like wow what you guys put in this stuff man you know we're just, <laughs> just my deadlift in two weeks you know because when, when <laughs> guys have been so malnourished for so long that when you start giving them their body's just going to soak it up like a sponge oh yeah they would just be walking around perpetually pumped <laughs> hey did you just <laughs> I ate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's what you oh, yeah. said. You could get you could get all your calories with some oil. Now you're going to be on the toilet for the rest of the day. That was the first thing I was thinking about. I'm like, yeah, that's going to be a very busy day, dude. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I back to recommend it. <laughs> now there was a guy a while back who recommended, okay, you know, to increase your caloric intake, just just have half a cup of flaxseed oil added to your regimen. I go half a cup of flaxseed oil. Look, man, I got uh, yeah. things to do. <laughs> I have time to be in the all day. Come on. I mean, it's the same shit as this bulletproof coffee. I mean, people just drink oil coffee. Exactly. They call it bulletproof because it's more fancy name yeah. for it. Like nobody wants to say just like, oh, it's just oil coffee. Like that sounds yeah. fucking disgusting. Right. But it's just yeah. a way to get calories because people want to validate their poor eating habits and then say it's a healthy method of of losing weight. It's like, oh, so you're telling me I can eat all this fried, greasy junk and still look a certain way. It's like, yeah, you might have short-term results from that, but is it promoting health? No. Is it promoting longevity? No. Are you getting your micronutrients that you need? No. Uh, So it's like misconceptions like this has been promoted, especially within the fitness industry. It's just so frustrating to hear and see on a daily occurrence. And like you said, Mike, I'm going to blow a gasket too if somebody keeps asking about my macronutrients requirements as a vegan it's like it's not it, there's no difference you know what i mean there's no there's no different like a human a vegan and a non-vegan there's no physiological difference it's just choosing right. your foods more wisely to understand exactly. that you don't need as much as what's being marketed to you 
You know, when you have the pro- proper micronutrition coming along with your, your sources, your body optimizes itself. You know, you operate at a higher level when you, when you have efficient foods that you're eating and not garbage calories. Right. And that, your physique is so impressive that I think a lot of people will naturally try to diminish you in some way and be like, oh, you take anabolic. Or he's juicing. Or, yeah, he's juicing. Yeah, yeah. That's the first thing people There's usually some fat dude that always says that too. He's no matter who it is. Who let's see anyone with just a remote piece of muscle on their body? Oh, you know he's juicing, man. You know he's on the. Oh, don't get me. Don't get. Don't get me wrong. I love juicing. I mean, carrot juice, ginger juice, all of these things are really, really good yeah. juicing for you. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, that's the that's the number one rebuttal that I get from people. It's like, yeah, anybody can be vegan and take steroids. It's like, come on, guys. Like, how low has the bar been set? Like this is my challenge to people is like, what at what like at what point is a physique attainable naturally and not, you know, like the bar has been set so low that anybody with any sort of muscle mass walking around is on steroids in the oh, public yeah. diet, you know, and then it, it's perpetuated it's perpetuated by social media because all yeah. you see on guys with impressive physiques comments section is like oh roids 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 so naturally anybody that reads that right. thinks that that yeah. is a reality, right. When in no, honesty, it's, 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 it's and if it's on social media, it has to be true, man. Exactly. If it's on the internet, it must be true, right? If some guy <laughs> makes a YouTube video about me claiming that I'm on steroids, it must be true, right? It, it's it's such bullshit because people don't know what it takes to be a bodybuilder. Not everybody wants to be a pro bodybuilder. First of all, it right. takes insane dedication, discipline, sacrifice, all of these things that not everybody's willing to do. So if you are willing to do those things, you can achieve anything. You can achieve whatever physique yeah. you want. You can achieve whatever goal or career you want. But not everybody's willing to do that. So they tend to look at, like, I'm not willing to work that hard, so this guy must not be willing to work that hard, so he must be cheating or taking this shortcut. That is, you couldn't have said it better. That's exactly right. Now, one thing I've noticed is uh, sometimes I like to read your comment section on your post because what people have to say I always find amusing. But <laughs> You're very instrumental at responding to such people. One time you posted this meal, and it was, like, hey, look, this meal is loaded with protein and fat and carbs. It was a nice ratio of everything. And then one guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure you built that physique you have without protein. Ha, ha. And you're like, did you even read the post? <laughs> you know? <laughs> 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 it's a meal full of protein, man. And this guy's trying to say, oh, yeah, I'm sure you built that without protein. It's a, it, it, it always cracks me up. It just, but, again, these are, these are just trolls. You know, these are people yeah. that if you any response, they're, they're like, ha-ha, I got him to respond to me. He, had a, he took time out of his day to deal with me. Yeah, the Internet is a volatile place, man. You have to realize that the Internet is not reality. Uh, it's a place where people can be whoever they want to be behind a computer screen or behind a phone screen. And I'll be, I'll be 100% transparent with you. I have never had somebody attack me in real life saying the things that they've said online. And it's important for people to realize that don't get – like. Don't pay any attention to people online and their opinions because it all stems from insecurity. You don't see anybody that's successful at what they do, that's living a happy, healthy life, going out and attacking people. That's just not – it just doesn't happen because they're comfortable with who they are. They appreciate other people's success, and there's no need for them to attack other people. Uh, so if you are receiving hate online or you, you, know, you have to deal with it, just understand that that's coming from their own place of unhappiness, and you just happen to be in their crosshairs that day. That's right. Yeah, I almost feel yeah. bad for some people when I was, I was like, clearly you're not happy with your life at all. Clearly you're miserable. Right, exactly. And when that isn't, it just it emphasizes that even more. 
It's just more pronounced for you. But you're right, Nam. I mean, at the gym, the only people that have ever come up to me to say anything are people praising. No one's ever been like, oh, yeah, man, you know, uh, you're, I read your article the other day and you're full of shit. I would love for someone to do that. I would, I would be like, oh, really? Okay. Let's have a little discussion here. Yeah. And, and the, thing, right. the thing also you have to realize, too, is the sample size of people and what they have of you. You know, they see a right. few images online and they create this whole this whole narrative behind who you are as a person, what your morals are, right. what you're what you stand for, what kind of work ethic you have. They build this entire narrative based off of a fucking photo. That's you know, like, how is asking, that possible? They're just asking you. You know, yeah. it's like a choose your own yeah. adventure book for them. So they get on social media like, hmm, look at this guy. He looks strong. So I wonder if blah, blah, blah. So that's the one time they start using their creative imagination instead of actually using their creative imagination <laughs> to actually further life. It's like, man, if you just even when I look at just when people post memes, I said, man, or these people that make these videos, as soon as something happens, like with a celebrity, they end up making these quick little meme like videos that go viral. I said, now, just imagine that same person, whoever created that, because we don't know by the time we get the meme or, get, you know, it goes viral. But imagine they put that same creativity into something productive and lucrative <laughs> and build a business around that, then we'd have a lot more millionaires and billionaires that could go out there and actually help more people like we're talking about in these guys in this village right now. You know, yeah. but they'd rather just be they'd rather just post something on, on the internet and then be like, huh, I did that first. Okay, but did you get any residuals from that? You're like, yeah, but that was my that was my hashtag first. I was the first one to use that hashtag. And Oh, man. <laughs> what is it? What is it doing for you, though? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah I just, I like just found that misery loves company. Yeah. You know, people that are miserable will oh, have yeah. to bring anybody, anybody down that they can, and it makes them feel good in some way. So uh, I just don't. I literally pretend it doesn't exist, and it, it works for me. It just keeps the negativity out. I, I block out the noise, and I just keep focusing on myself. And I, I respond to some people sometimes. I mean, I have my limits too, you know. Uh, right. And I'll respond to them and be like, man, maybe if you spend as much effort as you did, you know, responding to me and saying this hurtful, hateful message that you know nothing about and use that energy to focus on bettering yourself, maybe you'd be in a position like the one I'm in, you know, where right. you're, you're happy and you're successful in whatever venture that you decide to choose. But yeah. too many times people would rather direct their energy towards negativity as opposed to something productive, like you said. It's just easy to do. But you know, that's, that's, to be clear, the, the majority of comments I've seen on your page are positive. It's people going, wow, impressive results, man. That's really inspirational. So I, I, I don't see, I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't looked at every post you've put up, but generally when I scan through <laughs> the comments, it's pretty positive. Well, Is that your I've, got, as well? I've, got some, I've got some keyword blockers on there, too, so people can't post <laughs> some, uh, some keywords <laughs> on my comment section because, again, it provides no value to me. And seeing those things... Uh, I mean, coming from somebody that's on social media quite a bit, and you, you, it's almost like, how do I explain it? It's, it's like an experiment. It's like a social experiment, right? Because okay. you get such a large sample size and data of how people respond to certain things and what triggers right. certain people. And you see it so frequently that it doesn't affect you the same way it does as if that one person that reaches out to you says, hey, fuck you, man. Like, it just sits with you for a long time. If you see it a million times a day... It, it, you just kind of brush it off. You get really thick skin. Right. But at the right. same time, I don't want to have to look at my phone. Like, I've got my own life going on. I try to, you know, always maintain a positive outlook on life. But I don't want to have to open up my phone and read ignorant, hateful things about me every time I open up my phone. That's just not healthy. Right. And right. some people tend to focus on it. I tend to focus on the people that actually need help. Like, for every hateful comment, there's a 100 positive comments. And the guy that might be saying... Hey, you're a phony, you're a fraud, you're a liar, whatever it is that they're saying. 
the person above them is saying, hey, man, you're inspiring. I love what you do. Can you help me? I would rather focus my energy on helping that person than responding to somebody that I'm not going to change their mind and they mean nothing to me. Right, right. Now, that's definitely the right attitude to have. It's easy to – generally, we tend to remember negativity, unfortunately, more than positivity, meaning that I could get 25 emails that are all positive, and I go, great, 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 great. And then you have one guy just is a total jack off, and then you get you get it's easy you can get fixated on that and start thinking about revenge schemes and go, okay, I'm going to squash this guy. When I was younger, that would be my attitude. Now I just delete blocks. It's like flushing down the toilet. You're gone. I don't remember you. I don't know who you are. Before I have a chance to think about it, delete block. Goodbye. You're finished. Twitter's You're the absolutely best. right, man. You people on Twitter where. It's basically blocking them, and they don't know you block them. So they're still going to waste their time, but you don't see me. <laughs> that, that mute function is awesome, man. I love using that thing. It's like, I'm going to go ahead and mute you. You're not even going to know I blocked you. So your dumbass is going to keep posting. You're still going to see what I'm posting. I'm just not going to see any of your retorts to it. <laughs> they're just sitting talking. They're still screaming. It's like they're screaming and whatever else. And you're sitting there. you got like these flesh tone Bose speakers. You've got earphones in your ears right now, and they can't even see them. So they swear up and down that you're hearing every word they're saying, man. So, yeah, it's beautiful the way they do it on Twitter. I wish you you wish that YouTube could be that way because that just seems that's Trollville right there, man. Oh, my God. Oh my God. It's like they, they live the troll it's on the, YouTube. It is the gutter of the comment section. <laughs> you have a pretty strong on YouTube as well. Do you, yeah, you do you screen your comments where you have to approve it, or you just let it fly and and do No, you know what? Honestly, I, I I screen my comments on um on Instagram. They have like keyword blockers, and I had no idea you could do it on YouTube. And really? honest, well, to be one hundred percent honest. I had no idea until the other day, and that is what always turned me off about YouTube. It's like I love making videos and, and providing more insightful information uh, for right. people, but the amount of responses that I would get that were just so negative and hateful, like I, I couldn't, like I didn't want to deal with it. And yeah. I only recently found out that you can block those keywords or whatever. So now I'm all about YouTube. I'm like, oh, this is it's not so bad after you, you know, filter out <laughs> all the junk. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I knew that, I I knew that on YouTube. Off. I didn't know you could do it on Instagram though. Yeah, you, you do, do it on, on Instagram too. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about social media and the fact that people can post anonymously is you realize that you realize how many how many racist people are still out there because you don't deal with these people that much in face to face interactions. They may be thinking it, but they're not going to say it to your face as we talked about. But when they're on their computer and they can post anonymously, now it just comes out. Like I, I was looking at a Beyonce video a while back, and there were like a thousand people dropping the M bomb in the comment section. I was like, "Wow!" wow. Can you, none of these people would ever use that word out loud in front of in the in a real world setting. But here, well, that was because, you, that's because and, there are consequences in real life when you use that stuff. When you use words like that, it's, it's usually got a different type of follow up. So instead of a block and delete, it's usually coming with a punch in the face. You know. So. <laughs> My, I, you know what? I beg to differ, man. I think that there's still a lot of that going on. Honestly, like I grew up in, in South Mississippi, man. So okay. I was in the heat of everything, you know, mm. growing up. And it wasn't until I moved to California to to realize that racism isn't as common outside of the place where I was raised. You know, no, you're right. um, racism is really prevalent. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the worst state for it. You know, it's right. the, the last state to catch up with a lot of the you know, more progressive ideals. But 
Yeah, you know, right. when I was growing up, um, you know, growing up with a different religion uh, amongst a group of people that were living in a commune with a different religion other than mm-hmm. Southern Baptist Christian, um, I, I dealt with it, man. I remember, I remember KKK coming to the outskirts of, uh, of the commune and, and burning crosses. And me wow. being young, I didn't understand what it was, but my parents were like fearful, you know, like what if these people yeah. took further action and decided to friggin' lynch somebody or, or attack them or something like that, you know, but it was clear that we weren't welcome within that community and uh, it still exists very much so down there. Let's talk about that a little bit because you grew up in a Hare Krishna type environment. And that's why you've never had meat, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was, I, both my parents were uh, were Hare Krishna, and they raised me and my siblings within that lifestyle. And I grew up like in South Mississippi in a essentially like a Hindu commune. You know, it was yeah. a, a plot of land that had several different families on it. There was a, a, a cow farm. Uh, most of the cows were rescues, but they did produce milk, and the milk would provide ghee and cheese and curd uh, for the community. And there was also like a self-sustaining garden. There was a temple. It was a really nice, peaceful place to grow up. Uh, but that was the little bubble that I lived in. And then outside of that bubble was like the real world of uh, South Mississippi. Did you go to school in this commune or did you go to public high school? Yeah. So I, I was, uh, I went to like preschool. My mom was a preschool teacher and um, that ended whenever I went to kindergarten and then I went to public school uh, that was pretty close to me and my parents being the kind of the more free thinkers, uh, that they are brought me to school in the traditional, you know, the traditional robes. Um, I would wear like bracelets. I mean, it, it, the, the whole culture is, is very opulent. So they like to, uh, you know, I remember my sister, even at like age of like, I don't know, eight, she had like a nose ring and she was going to school and, you know, my parents are very open about that stuff. So they kind of threw me to the wolves. Um, and I had to learn really quickly that I, I remember going home and asking if they could just put me in regular clothes just so I wouldn't stand out as much. And I remember growing up, you know, within that environment, um, obviously bringing my own food to lunch and opening up my Tupperware and having like very, very aromatic foods like that contain curry or cumin or turmeric immediately filling up the room and people immediately looking at me, you know, eating their, their ham and cheese sandwich being like, what is that? You know, what is that food? And like, I was too young to explain it. But then, of course, the conversation would then go into why is my food weird? Why is it different? Why doesn't it have any meat? And that constant, I guess, questioning and interrogation just made me feel, I don't know, it made me more reserved about being different and who I was, that I kind of like uh, just downplayed who I was and didn't really talk about it until like later after, even after high school. Yeah. Well, shit, man. That's I got why you get tired of explaining yourself, man. <laughs> yeah. It just starts to get on your nerves. Like, you know what? Because <laughs> usually by that time you explain yourself, they still don't understand. So when people don't understand, no. then the next default thing to do is just, you know, they're really just sort of making fun of you. And then it becomes this little game mentality because no one wants to be the one that actually wants to stand out. Like, well, I'm actually interested in what he's talking about. That food is kind of interesting, but I don't want these kids picking on me. So they end up joining the mob with other other kids and picking on you <laughs> until later on. It's like, well, dude, I really didn't want to know, but I didn't want to get beat up, oh. <laughs> you know. So and that's what that's the society that we have now even on, and right. on the Internet. There's, you know, people do the same things like some people were actually like, hey, that's interesting. But then the majority of people are like, oh, that's crazy. You're this, that and the other. Da, da, da. So people either back off and don't say leave any comments or say anything at all 
or they just join the mob. And that's pretty much also become what our culture has become, even in the outside world now. You know, even just look at, you know, just how the political front of everything. There's some people that realize some of the stuff that's being said and done is like, oh, that's not right. But the majority of people, you know, they're they're going on the side of what's not right. And so people are like, well, damn, I don't want to be the only one. Or I I, I want to stand up against that, but I don't think I have enough information to speak out against that. Yeah. Then they're just going to attack me. I don't want to be attacked. <laughs> no, who really wants to right. be attacked? You know, so. Well, there's a there's a Sufi story. Yeah, there's a Sufi story no. about. I think it was this guy Hafiz, right? He was basically stoned to death, and he was put up on this not a cross, but he was tied to something, a pole or something like that. And people started, the older villagers started throwing rocks at him. And then one of his own students, who didn't want to defend him, he threw flowers at him. He didn't want to throw rocks at him, but he went with the crowd. And he, and then the guy Hafiz, I think is his name, he said that was the most hurtful because he didn't. Ex- the, right. the villagers they were just ignorant, so he said he'll take it. But the fact that one of his own students couldn't yeah. turn on him, essentially, couldn't stick up for him, that was the most hurtful. And I think a lot of people fall into that category where they may like a kid and they feel bad that he's getting picked on, but they're not going to do anything about it. And as, as the saying says, that's how evil proliferates, right? Now, we don't, we, yeah. we don't necessarily have – it's somewhat unfair to have expectations of kids to be heroic and so forth, especially when adult, adults aren't. But if adults set that example more – it would fall down the line as opposed to, well, don't stick out, you know, don't be different. Uh, don't, don't do anything that's going to get, make you a target. Cause I remember in high school, man, I had dreadlocks and I was a punk rocker and I was a heavy metal guy. And I went to a high school that was the equivalent of Beverly Hills, 90210, you know, Langley high school in Virginia. And you got a lot of crap for looking like that. You know, now you'd be cool. Now you'd be, depending on where you are in America, California, et cetera. But back then, man, I, I remember walking home. I had to carry a club with me because jocks would drive by and threaten to beat my ass. You know, that, that was a daily occurrence. You just dealt with it. And looking back, I realized how important those years were because I had the courage to be different when I'm young. I haven't even, I even fully developed. I don't know who I am yet. I don't have a life philosophy. But I have the courage to just take the crap. It's like, okay, fine. A bunch of people are going to try to beat my ass. A bunch of people are going to marginalize me. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to deal with it because this is who I am. And if you can, if you can build that fortitude at such a young age, it's going to be much easier to develop much more fully as an adult and not just be this, this sheep part of this herd of people. Like a lot of people are, a lot of people just fall into these, this peer pressure never stops. And when you're in the corporate world, you all these people around you that are talking about their fucking yachts and going to strip clubs and what their favorite, their wine cellars, all this bullshit. And everybody feels like they need to keep up with that. It's like, okay, let me go buy a house I can't afford. Let me buy a car I can't afford. Let me have a wife who looks a certain way, even though I don't love her. And she doesn't love me, and she'd leave me in a second if I lost this job because I need to put on this facade to keep up with these guys. And this peer pressure never ends unless you decide F off. You tell all these people to F off around you and you carve your own path. And it's, it's never going to be easy. You try to, when I told people I wanted to be a kettlebell instructor, I'm going to teach people, I'm going to build this fitness business around teaching people how to throw this iron ball around. People laughed. Like nobody, nobody's, nobody, that's never going to work. Nobody's going to, nobody cares about this. It's one, it's too hard. Nobody even, these, these kettlebells are too expensive. Nobody owns them. But I, I had, just like I feel about this Nakavali thing where I had this fixation, I had the same fixation back then. It was just, you just had this strong belief of, no, nah, this, this is something that I'm excited about. I know other people are going to get excited about. It's just a question of getting it out there. 
And if you don't have that self-belief, you're just going to be this pinball in life. You're just going to be someone who just takes a lot of bad advice from people because you can't think for yourself. You're going to go do some fucking job you hate for the rest of your life because you can't think for yourself. A lot, a lot of people fall into that category. Yeah. yeah and growing up, like, I mean, they say adulthood is just learning. Like the problems you have in adulthood is just all stemmed from what you dealt with in your childhood, right? It's just yeah. dealing with your childhood and the traumas that you experience. And like sometimes it breaks people uh, into submission and sometimes it strengthens them, you know? Um, and, and, and I feel like in my case, learning how to accept that everybody has different viewpoints on life. Not everybody is going to agree with what you believe. Um, not judging them for it because I was a product of judgment and being more empathetic towards those that are different and finding a common ground to communicate with those individuals was so important to me because I had to face it. I was like, look, either I remain an outcast and just have no social circle, no friends whatsoever and just remain this like weirdo, or I can adapt, still have some civility with these kids and understand that I'm different, still have my belief system, but still communicate with them in a positive manner that has shaped my complete existence for what I'm doing now. Like, yeah. like being an advocate in the bodybuilding world, promoting something that goes against the common thread. Um, it, it's, it's not easy. I'll say that, you know, you, you put yourself out there, you stick your neck out, people are going to take their shots. And that's what we we're talking about earlier is, is being okay with who you are, being okay and having a deep understanding of your, um, your belief system it is an empowering thing to, to develop as a human because once you have that sense of identity, nothing can shake that foundation. And right. you only stand stronger in adversity and, and you become more resilient. And I think that's like a, that's what makes people successful. It's not how cushion easy their life is. It's the tough times, man. It's, it's how you yeah. stand in that adversity that makes you stronger. Right. That's 100%. How did this whole vegan how did this whole bodybuilding thing happen? Was that something that were you a guy who worked out when you were a teenager and you just turned it up a notch as you got older? How did that whole path begin? Yeah, you know, I went to my first gym at 16. I remember I stepped foot it was a Nautilus and uh I I'll never forget it. I was just like was I just fell in love with it right away, but I never really took yeah. it seriously. I was the kind of guy that would go to the gym, do some curls, do some bench and then come back the next day, do some curls, do some bench and then do the same thing, you know? And uh it wasn't until like uh, probably college, maybe my freshman, sophomore year in college that um, I was studying engineering and I didn't have much free time, but the little free time I did have, I enjoyed uh, going to the gym in the fitness center there. And then my, my last year of college, um, like many bodybuilders, I experienced a breakup and I had to direct that energy somewhere. So I ended up getting more into fitness. I switched gyms because my ex was like a trainer at the gym that I went to. And I became friends with a lot of personal trainers at this new gym. And they really kind of took me under their wing and, and taught me some new techniques in regards to training and, and just the fundamentals. And um, then when I graduated college and came to California, I, I, I moved to Bakersfield and didn't have much else to do. It was a brand new town, brand new city, didn't have any friends. And I was like, I'll just go to the gym and make friends there. And um, yeah, I started taking my, then, then bodybuilding became more meditative for me because I didn't have anything really else going on. And I, I knew right away that I went into a corporate world where I was unsure about the future of that world for me and whether or not I liked it. Um, but then fitness and working out became something that I really enjoyed. So I, I could deal with, you know, working 10 hours a day, 
uh, on engineering stuff because I knew that at the end of the day I could go home and, and work out and do something I really loved. And then it just kind of evolved, man. I just got more into nutrition and started, you know, learning how to optimize my nutrition for my for my performance. And then it, it evolved into somebody recommending I do a, a local bodybuilding show. And I just kind of scoffed at the idea and laughed. I was like, yeah, right, dude. Like, what the hell am I going to get on stage for half naked and pose in front of, like, some random people and get judged by it? And then, you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, no, I have nothing else going on. I'll I'll, I'll give it a shot and see what happens. Let's give me a goal to shoot for. And um, that same time is when I was I was still vegetarian up to this point. And as a vegetarian bodybuilder, I tended to focus a lot on the more protein-dense foods, which tended to come from dairy. So whey protein shakes, cottage cheese, Greek yogurt, these things were like staples in my diet. I remember doing like a, a protein shake with cottage cheese before going to bed um, and just, you know, obviously you didn't want to be around me. It was just so much digestive flatulence. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was just bad. Um, but what happened was like my – my digestive tract was just wrecked because I was eating so much dairy. And I came across a video about uh, uh, what goes on. I think my mom shared it, ironically. My mom posted, like, she always posts some funny stuff on Facebook, but she posted a video about, like, what goes on behind the dairy industry. And it was kind of like an in-depth look. And I, you know, was fairly new to the corporate world. And my whole role as an engineer was to optimize production, right? Find ways to, to make processes and systems more efficient. So I was looking at this industrialized dairy farm and seeing processes that I recognized as an engineer. You know, I, I, very, I looked at it very analytically, and I thought to myself that the same way that I am working for my company to optimize their systems, there is another guy behind a desk in my exact position looking to optimize production and squeeze as much juice out of their products as possible, and that is a living being. And by me paying this company to do that, I was paying that guy to work harder and work smarter. And it really just didn't sit well with me. And I kind of got disgusted with it. I was like, I'm not going to support this industry anymore. And uh, I just gave up dairy products altogether and went fully plant-based. Had no idea how kind of what kind of effect it was going to have on me as far as fitness goes. Prepped for my first show for like eight, nine weeks and stepped on stage and ended up winning the entire thing. Wow. And what was funny was that you know, the, the question that I completely avoided my entire life, you know, what do I eat, ended up becoming the first question that everybody asked me. And I was kind of forced to talk about the fact that I didn't eat meat and I was able to build this physique. And it just really opened my eyes that people were genuinely curious and I knew that it was a healthier option for them. So I thought, why not start sharing it more online? And one thing led to another. And now here I am. <laughs> Long story short. Oh, that's a great story. I mean, you were on the front cover of Muscle and Fitness recently, too. That was earlier this year, right? Uh, yeah, that was in May. And to my knowledge, I think it was the first, like, the first vegan bodybuilder to ever grace the cover of, of Muscle and Fitness. Now, how did that happen? Did they contact you? Yeah, so funny story. Like, I had been in Muscle and Fitness before, actually, right after I got my my pro status through the IFBB uh, in Vegas in 2016. I met a, a guy who thought I had a great look. He was like, yeah, I work for an agency. I can get you in his magazines. And I was like, cool, we exchange information. I went and did a shoot um, down in LA and I had like a seven page spread in muscle and fitness. But the thing was, they didn't even give me credit. Like the, my name was not mentioned in anything. Uh, they even gave the makeup artist credit. And it, <laughs> 
I was, I was really like upset about that. And I was like, man, like, I mean, I got paid like a couple hundred bucks, but I was like, man, I don't even like, that's my face, but how can I prove that it's me? You know, like <laughs> nobody's going to know it's me. And um, I made a vow to myself and I was like, that's okay. It's okay. Me, my next time you're going to be on the cover. Next time you're going to be on the cover. And, uh, lo and behold, I got contacted again to do a photo shoot with them. And I talked to the editor and I mentioned that I brought it up. I was like, you know, I want my name credited, you know? And he was like, okay, we'll make sure it happens. And then I kind of thought about it. I was like, look, man, can I like, is there any chance I could share my story about like what I'm doing and trying to just create some awareness about, you know, this whole vegan bodybuilding movement. And it's possible, you know, I'm one of the only IFBB pros that's competing at this level as a vegan. And I would just love to just share my story with people. He ran it by the editor. I think the editor of Muslim Fitness um, or whatever holding company owns Muslim Fitness somehow heard about it. And I think he's vegan. I, I don't know the guy's name, but he has some relation to the plant-based world. And they were like, yeah, we, we might be able to mention it. We did a little phone interview and um, I went to go do the photo shoot, had no idea anything, you know, they weren't, they didn't mention anything about a cover shoot. And one day, not long, a few weeks after the photo shoot, a buddy of mine texted me a cover photo of me on the cover. And I was like, what is this? Where did you find this? And he's like, bro, I just got emailed and your face is on the cover. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I could not believe it. To this day, it blows my mind that I'm on the, I was on the cover of any magazine. Um, but then I got the magazine and it was like a 10 page spread all about detailing, all about the benefits of a plant-based diet, going through my, my nutrition protocols. Um, it was just like the best, the best kind of publicity vegan bodybuilding could ever get. And oh, that, yeah. that, that magazine was translated into like 10 or 15 different languages, like Chinese, French, or not uh, Japanese, French, German, uh, Turkish, like all of these different languages and all of my fan base, you know, they're reposting it. And it was just like a proud moment in my life, but not necessarily the fact that like I'm on the cover, like, yeah, that's cool. It feeds, feeds the ego a little bit, obviously, but the fact that I was able to like reach such a large audience and to be given that platform was just, yeah just a dream come true. Oh, it's huge, man. The, the goodwill from that is <clears throat> exponential. I mean, that just goes on. Now, did you find, let, let's talk about your nutrition actually a little bit. Do you have a certain philosophy in terms of meal frequency or what do you, what do you try? What, do, what are the staples in your regimen? Um, you know, like I honestly don't like to complicate things. I, I right. think that it, it's better to take a look at the, like take a step back and take a look at the big picture. Meal frequency for me is just a 24-hour period. Um, however I get my meals in that's most beneficial to my schedule is what I'm going to do. I don't really have a timer on my phone. Uh, the only really one that I think matters is like your post-workout nutrition. Um, right. there, there's some science that kind of backs that up. So I just make sure to have like a little bit of uh, protein and carbs after my, my workout. And apart from that, I just make sure to eat a wide variety of plant-based like veggies, legumes, grains, and just making sure I'm getting like enough calories. And by just by getting enough calories, you naturally get enough protein. Uh, add in a, 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 a scoop of uh, plant-based protein powder or two, and you got more than enough. So it, it's relatively easy, and I try not to overcomplicate it for people. I know that's not the answer that most people want to hear, but that's the reality is that the, the basics do more. Like I'm all about like the, the 80-20 rule, right? If I can focus on 20% of my efforts that gives me 80% of the results, I'm going to focus my energy on that, as opposed to to focusing all of my efforts on this one particular task and energy that might only produce one to two percent more of a difference. 
you know? And I think that's the problem with a lot of the things that you talked about earlier about like macronutrient ratios and making sure you're getting 4.5 grams of leucine, you know, all of these like redundancies that don't matter in the, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, look at these guys in freaking Uganda. You think they give a shit about that? And it still works, you know? It, it's just... It's just about focusing on the things that produce the most amount of results. Well, you're seeing more coaches, even Christian Thibodeau, right? He's not a vegan, but he's one of the most well-respected strength coaches out there. And we were talking about protein when he was on the show. And he's a big guy, big, strong guy. And he says he never has more than, I think he said 140 grams, 100 to 140 grams of protein a day. And he said he's never gotten better results from one to two grams per pound, even lean mass. So he just doesn't bother with that. He's not overly fixated on it. Other people from the old, old guard, they tend to be overly fixated on it. But I think if they tried a lower protein approach, they would be mystified that they're getting the same results, if not better. I don't mean low protein, just lower than what they have. They're going to realize, okay, either I doubt there's going to be, I doubt it's going to be to their detriment is where I'm going. It's like, oh man, you know, I lowered my protein by 50 grams and now I'm just getting weaker at every workout. I'm losing size. You're only going to lose size if you're not training and you're not taking in enough nutrition. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I think a lot of these, like, I guess these paradigms come from, like, the elite of the elite, right? So guys that, like, are on the Olympia stage and they're saying that, you know, they eat two to three grams of protein per pound of body weight, that might actually be what those guys need. It might be a little bit inflated and they might be putting, like, some factor of, like, you know, error in there as well. But that's, like only 0.001% of the world ever reaches that level. So I wouldn't even right. worry about that. Like, just right. like the foundational basics. Like, if you're a new lifter, don't even worry about protein. Worry about calories, right? Worry about getting proper nutrition from your calories. You will see a huge amount of progress as a new lifter. As you progress, yeah, your, your requirements may change as you as you get more advanced in your uh, your fitness career. But still, it's not as, as like complicated as people make it out to be. And I understand people wanting to get down into the science and and understanding that. But the reality is if you eat you can if you eat a variety of plant based foods, focus a little bit more on the legumes, the higher protein plant based options. You don't have to combine rice and beans to make a complete amino acid profile. All that shit is just it's just created to confuse people. I actually I mean I listened to a podcast today, honestly, that had it was um, the Muscle Intelligence podcast with uh, Ben Pakulski, and he had a, a doctor on there that was like the lead, uh, like the protein board, um, I don't know, association, something like that. And it was an hour and 15 minutes. He did not mention plant-based protein one time, and he's the lead of the Protein Doctors Association. I don't even know. He didn't mention it one time. And that is a huge availability of protein sources that was just completely neglected. And, and not talked about. And I don't understand how uh, in the bodybuilding community the plant-based protein sources are looked at as inferior or somehow unattainable to, to help you reach results. You know, it, it's just it's just frustrating to me. Yeah, well, there's still that old philosophy of incomplete proteins, as you just mentioned. And then you have to look at who's funding this research. Who's, so who's funding this guy? Who's funding this research? A lot of people are bought <laughs> off by big industry. Dairy industry is huge and extremely influential. Beef industry, huge, extremely influential. 
One thing a lot of people don't realize is the reason why meat is so cheap is because it's subsidized. It's factory farming as well, but it's also subsidized. So tax dollars are driving down the cost, so it's way more affordable. The actual cost is actually way higher. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And people forget that, that a lot of this stuff comes from lobbying, and it's been kind of like decades to get it to this place to where manufacturing these facilities and this industrialized farming has been so, or factory farming has become so cheap and affordable. But the true costs of those things are, are much higher. And the reality is it's not sustainable. And that's the right. problem that most people fail to realize is that this model that we've developed over time is not sustainable. And scientists know it. People that are much smarter than I know it. But everybody seems to be ignoring it. So the the best thing we can do is like a generation would just be to reduce the consumption of it. I'm not saying everybody has to go vegan, everybody's got to go plant-based, just reduce the consumption of it and introduce more sustainable options. And it'll be, it'll be a huge, huge shift. You know what I mean? It, it's, yeah. it, it just needs to be talked about more. And I think that's what's so amazing about social media is that it is giving people more of a platform to talk about these things and giving more average people a voice and a platform. Um, so I just hope that more people come out and, and stand up for these things because, I mean, we have two two homes, right? Our bodies and this planet. And it's important that we take care of both of them uh, or else they both go to shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as someone who's been doing this for a long time, I've seen the exponential growth, you know, in the last 25 years. Now there's so much information. There's people like you putting out great information and so many others. And there's so many different examples of men, women, different ethnic backgrounds, different ages that it's much more, it's a much more compelling discussion. Now, when I first started doing a vegan diet, there wasn't any information on how an athlete could thrive on a vegan diet. There weren't any books. This is pre-internet. So there wasn't any way to really research it. So the only thing you could do is go, okay, let me look at what meat eaters are doing and I'll try to replicate that. With the vegan diet, That's yeah, really all you, have to you would have had to you would have had diet. to get on the cover of a magazine just to have a voice. <laughs> <Right. laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But even in the, even in the entire time I've been in the fitness industry, I started around 2002. Just from then to now, it has been huge. And good friends of mine who were avid meat eaters, my friend Steve Cotter, right, one of the most well known kettlebell <laughs> Yeah, you do things here. But kids, but Steve, I've known Steve Cotter since two thousand three, and this guy was such a meat eater, he would he would bring a steak with him to the hotel room to put in the fridge to eat later. <laughs> yeah. And he and I discussed he, he always respected what I did because I was I was the vegan guy on the kettlebell team and I was strong as fuck you know back then, so people had to respect what I did, you know, because they would look at my abilities and be like, well, you know, I don't, he's, he's making it work somehow. I, I don't want to do it, but he's making it work, right? Always be that kind of, uh, that kind of delineation. But anyway, fast forward now, Steve Carter has been a vegan for five, six years. He's all in. He's always talking about it. He's posting about it on social media. And I never would have guessed that someone like him would have been amenable to it, having known him for so long. And there's quite a few other people as well that fall into that category. So now, now is the the more people that do it, the more people feel that they can do it as well. It's in a, it's in a rapid growth phase. And like you said, not everyone has to go vegan. If if there's even a reduction, if even if everyone in America, 300 million people, gave up meat at one meal, that would make a difference, given how things are going. Yeah. I I think Susie Cameron just came out with a book or like a, yeah, a whole strategy of just like one meal a day can make such an impact if everybody just ate one plant-based meal a day as opposed to having six animal-based protein meals a day. 
it would make a significant impact and help the sustainability of the planet for, for that much longer. Right. Right. Yeah, factory farming is not sustainable. And I think what's going to happen, though, is there's all this in vitro meat production where they, they actually grow meat in a lab from stem cells. That technology actually already exists right now. It's extremely expensive. That's why it hasn't been brought to the marketplace. And a lot of people are against that, against that for philosophical re- or spiritual reasons. Like, oh, it's not God made. And that, that, that's a dumb discussion I won't even entertain right now. But that, that to me is the future of meat production because I don't think the demand is going to go down to a point where it actually makes a huge difference in improving the quality of the planet. But I think what I think it'll be a combination of demand going down and then this option becoming the mainstream option. And then <clears throat> at that point, if you can get that technology work cheaper than factory farming, because that's all people really care about. They're going to go, I don't want to do that option if it's more expensive, but if it's cheaper, someone like my dad, an economist, he just goes with whatever option is cheaper. Like he thinks organics mm-hmm. the scale. But if organic were cheaper than conventional, he would be he would be all in on organic, right? Because he's just <laughs> an economics type point of view. It's, it's, it, that that's that's the future of meat production for 100. percent I don't. The sooner it happens, the better, because it takes animal suffering out of the equation. Does that mean that another animal is never going to be killed? No, but it's going to reduce it dramatically. Yeah, exactly. I think it'll get to that point too, like you said, Mike. You know, the the in vitro, the the, the lab grown meat and things like that. Um, I still have my opinions on that. I mean, if it's, but that's not to be had on this conversation. I'll just say that. <laughs> no, you can share whatever you want. You know, just whatever, whatever your feelings on that. No, I mean, I, I don't think it's. It, I think it's avoiding the issue, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I think there's still going to be an overconsumption of it, and that's it, it's not going to solve anything. It's just going to solve the. I guess the sustainability factor of it, but it, as far as promoting true and optimal health, is it going to be a, a viable option? I don't know. Yeah. And, and the future will tell. I mean, who knows what other kind of, yeah, who knows what other kind of disease could could come from these things. Um, that's definitely true. Those are all valid concerns. And I think that's why it's a slow process for something like this to happen. Yeah. I, I just think it, it's, the answer is already there. The answer is already there. Right. And they're right. looking for solutions that um, could be profitable, but I think from a sustainability and longevity point of view, the answer has already been solved. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's a combination of both and then more of what people like us are doing proliferates a lot more. And then something like that is just supplemental rather than one just factory farming, switching from the same amount of meat consumption, going from factory farming to this in vitro option. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Everything's a, everything, will, everything will take time. It'll, it's not like it's going to happen overnight. So only the future will tell uh, what the best option is. Uh, but at right. least they're, they're attempting to make some, some type of progress. I, I think that is the, the silver lining through all this is that an attempt is being made. Uh, so yeah. in combination of, of maybe the lab-grown meat plus some personal efforts on an individual basis, it could have profound effects on the, the future generations and the yeah. status of uh, not only health but the planet as well. Right, right. And what about your training? Let's talk about that a bit because when you and I spoke on your show – you made a point of a lot of people feel, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do three sets of 10 on whatever the exercise is. So you just, you relegate yourself to a certain amount of repetitions, weight, et cetera. Do you design programs for yourself where you have certain parameters you're trying to hit? Is it more instinctive combination of both? 
It's a combination of both for sure. I, I'm all about periodizing my training because not only from a physical perspective, but from like a mental perspective, I enjoy doing new things um, just to just to spice things up in, in my training as well. But I try not to ever go into the gym with a predetermined number of sets or reps with a given number of weight because I feel like each time is different. It's so unique that sometimes you're stronger, sometimes you're weaker. And the only thing that you can really control is how much effort you put in at that particular gym session. So I, I always go into the idea that, you know, your muscles can't count. They don't, they can't count to 10. They can't count to a hundred. What they go by is how they feel and the stimulation that you, uh, you cause to them. So I always just go into training, looking at the weight I'm going to lift and how can I stimulate that particular targeted muscle, uh, to feel as much resistance as possible to really maximize each training session. Because like, like we talked about in my podcast, you know, people go into the gym and they do three sets of 10. They could have done 30 reps, but they stop at 10 uh, because that's just naturally what they've been programmed to do. And they don't see any true progress, but I mean, true progress comes from pushing yourself beyond what you're capable of. It's the only way your body is forced to adapt. And that's what's going to stimulate your muscles to grow. So if you do that every time you go to the gym, then you'll see far greater progress than if you just go to the gym for a year and do the same weight for three sets of 10 uh, every time you go into the gym. So my, my training philosophy just kind of is founded on that. Uh, do I always adhere to it? No, I'll be, I'll be completely honest uh, because I, I do have different, like training for a show, training for a bodybuilding show is much different than just recreational training. Um, I never want to feel like weightlifting is a job and I always want to maintain that passion that I have for weightlifting. So it's important for me to uh, enjoy it while I'm in it. Now, do you train, how many days a week do you train and do you split up muscle groups? Let's say back and biceps Monday or how do you organize your workouts? Yeah, normally I'll do, I'll do three different splits. So I'll do a typical bro split where I'll do more isolated work, where I'll do like, you know, chest on Monday. I'll do uh, back on Tuesday. I'll take a rest day. Then I'll do legs. Then I'll do some accessory like arm and shoulder work. And then I'll do a full body workout. And then I'll take like a day or two off. Um, Then like another week, I'll do like a push-pull leg split or I'll do like an upper-lower split. So I kind of like just rotate those three training philosophies over the course of like uh, maybe six weeks. And they, they tend to yield really good results because, you know, on one week I'm, I might be training for four sets of like eight to 12 more hypertrophy style uh, training. And the other sets or the other weeks I might be going more for strength, uh, more for power, a little bit lower rep range, a little bit higher volume as far as the amount of weight I'm lifting. So just kind of like alternating between those training, uh, those training styles has worked really well for me. Uh, obviously I'm not the biggest guy, you know, I'm, I'm five, nine, 185 pounds. So it's not like I'm on the Olympia stage, you know, Uh, but I don't ever, as far as like bodybuilding, I don't want to ever be that big. I I like to maintain my functionality, my athleticism, and always maintain that, that flexibility within my body and not ever become like a a walking truck, you know, not that you just like happen to become a walking truck. I mean, those things take a lot of effort and time, Uh, but I feel like that has always worked well for me, and that's kind of what I the, the maintainability that I like to sustain. Do you stay lean all year round, or do you does your body fat percentage fluctuate depending on what phase of training you're in? Yeah, it fluctuates a little bit, but normally I stay under twelve percent. Um, 
sometimes under 10%. Like I'm a really hard gainer. So if I don't eat, I'll start to lose weight. Um, right. And especially, especially uh, being vegan, you have to eat a large volume of food to, to hit like say 3,500 calories. Um, so naturally I don't have like the stomach to eat that much veggies for 3,500 calories. There's a lot of veggies. So right. I tend to drink my, my calories a lot of times when I'm doing like say bulking and trying to put on a little bit of size. Uh, I won't go like extreme, like thousand, two thousand calorie deficits. Like you see some guys is like, oh, it's bulking season. I'll eat a large pizza, then go home and eat a tub of ice cream. For me, it's right. only about getting about three to four hundred extra calories in my maintenance level, and that's enough for me to grow at a steady pace and not ever really lose uh, that definition and still maintain like a somewhat, you know, reasonable body fat. Right. Now, how 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 long are your sessions? Uh, normally 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big believer. I'm a big day, or is this you just you're training one time a day? I just do one time a day. Um, okay. When I do shows, I'll do cardio too, um, but I'll do I'll split those up. So I'll do a 45 minute resistance training, and then I'll go back and do you know 30, 40 minutes of of just steady state cardio. Or what I'll do is do a few days of high intensity. Um, Cardio, kind of like sprints. Like I know you do sprints. You're a big proponent of that. Uh, I feel like that is a really effective way of not keeping your body in an elevated state of stress because whenever you start to – I see this all the time for people that want to do shows. Their coach tells them, okay, you got to do two a days. You got to go to the gym for two hours, do this crazy amount of volume, and then do an hour of stair stepper every day for the next six weeks. Like your body burns out and that's what, that's what messes people up and that's what causes people to rebound and that's what causes people to spin their wheels leading up to a show and not see any progress because you're not putting yourself in an environment where you can recover and you can train again the next day because you're, you're always in an elevated state of stress, which is not yeah. good or conducive for maintaining muscle, let alone getting rid of fat. Yeah. Now those extremes always have a rebound. You always pay a price. I remember working with some former fitness competitors where their hormones were so wrecked from all the stress they put themselves through that once the competition was over, they would gain so much body weight at an alarming rate. I'm talking 30 pounds in a few weeks. They would yeah, just freak in, out. in a weekend. I've seen it yeah. in a weekend. And they didn't, by the time they came to me, you don't, you wouldn't even, if you didn't see pictures of them competing, you wouldn't believe that they even worked out because their body just rebounded in the opposite direction in a dramatic way to the point where that was alarming to them. Like, I don't know what's happening. I'm just putting on weight every day. Yeah. And that's the, that's the typical cycle of these, you know, what I see nowadays, especially with so many people getting, uh, involved with like these fitness competitions and these physique shows, uh, particularly females, because they tend to mess up their, their hormonal function as well. They, they lose their periods because they're not eating enough fats and all, all these things that really mess up their endocrine system. And it's hard to recover from that. And then the next time you try and do a show, your body doesn't respond the same. That's right. It's like these actors like Christian Bale. Christian Bale, I don't know if you ever saw a movie called The Machinist. He got extremely yeah, amazing. Oh, yeah. And then the, yeah, right after that, Batman, exactly. And he got bulked up for that. And he said that as he got as he gets older, he can't do that anymore. He can't do these extreme weight losses. One movie, he got really fat for it, right? He had this big gut. He said it was so hard for him to lose that. While when he was younger, he could have lost it in no time. 
But as he gets older, he can't put himself through these extremes anymore. Now, think about how many people are putting themselves through similar extremes, not for a movie, but just this is their life. Crash dieting, binging, crash dieting, binging, crash dieting. I, I think going on a diet, period, is destructive. <laughs> just you just yeah. hear that. And, and we're about to. And we're entering with this episode right now. We're entering that season now, that crash dieting season, because people have bulked up over the holidays, and now January 1st is right around the corner. And so now it's time for the extreme crash dieting to go on for at least, well, the, the crash dieting probably lasts longer than the workouts, than the, than the gym membership. You know, it's like they, that, that gym membership is just like an extension of that crash dieting, because in their mind, they feel like they have more control of starving themselves than actually having to get in their car and go to a gym and go work out. So it's a lot easier, like, well, I may not make it to the gym today. I just won't eat today. I just won't eat because I'm not going to make it to the gym. Like, no, wrong answer. <laughs> wrong exactly. answer. If you gave people a choice and said, look, walk three miles a day, get in four or five workouts a week, and then you can be much more lax with your diet. You can, you can have ice cream from time to time. You can loosen things up. Not worry about it. Especially those of us who are not competing like you are in the mind. We don't, we don't need to have super low body fat, the average person. They don't need to take it to the level that you're at. They want to be healthy, functional, et cetera. But then, but then you said, or you can just sit around on your ass and watch TV all day and eat a lot less. A lot of people would choose the second option, and not just women, guys. <laughs> right. <I'm fucking> right. <laughs> for guys who don't want to be strong and fit. I go, you should be ashamed of yourself. As a man, that should be something that you feel is a requirement to exude strength. When I walk at the front door, I want to look like someone that you shouldn't fuck with. Now, when I walk around, right. it's like, I, I want to I want to project that. Not because I'm confrontational. It's because I'm anti-confrontational. So I want to project strength. Because if you project strength, you avoid conflict most of the time. Now, I see guys all the time that are just easy targets. You're just a human target walking around. A mark. Yeah. If, you look, if you look at your fucking phone the whole time as you're walking around, <laughs> check that a criminal is looking for. Oh, let me look for someone who's probably not going to fight back. Probably couldn't fight back if they wanted to. Let me look for someone who's distracted. Check. Let me look for someone who's got high estrogen level. Check. <laughs> you know. And to me, I don't even understand why a guy has to be inspired to be strong and fit. That's the way I look at it. I go, why is that even something right. I even have to convince you that that's a good use of your time? You don't have to go deadlift 500 pounds. You don't have to do 50 pull-ups. Just have a baseline of fitness. You can run out of your house if it's on fire. You can run into it if it's on fire to save someone, right? <laughs> <laughs> just so, yeah. so I mean the fact the, the fact when you're filling out an application for like UPS or FedEx and it says like the bare minimum you know lift you know you must be able to lift 40 pounds and the fact that that actually just, the fact that that's discouraging to an applicant it's just like oh 40 pounds like what the hell are we gonna be doing why am I gonna be lifting 40 pounds all the time what the hell like come on man are you serious right now 40 pounds you put your overhead bag over you threw it overhead one time in the compartment and, and they're impressed. Like, <laughs> they're like, oh, I, it's so funny here. My dude, they're like, oh my god, wow, you're so strong. I'm like, it's a bag, it's an over an overhead bag at that. It's not even the one I check in. Okay, you're like, come on, man. people like you dropping. Like, what type of dudes are you messing with, lady? You <laughs> dropping in five push-ups at the park, and people are like, wow. <laughs> I'd be like, shit, man, don't put me for that. It's like crazy. Again, man, the bar has been set low. The bar has yeah, been set low. The bar has not even been set. It's just lying on the floor at this point. You're sitting over the bar. Is that a bar on the ground? <laughs> well, especially as you get older in the mind. You're still a young guy. You know, at, at mine and Sincere's age, the bar is non-existent. You can touch your toes. <laughs> the bar is where most of those guys go every day after work. Okay, that's what the bar is. <laughs> yeah. 
people are like, well, I'm pretty strong for my age. I was like, that doesn't mean anything. If you can do two push-ups <laughs> and you're 45, you're strong. It's like, don't ever say you're strong for your age. You're, you're, you're either strong, period, or you're not. You know, like Louis yeah. Simmons always said, I don't compete in the master's division. I compete in the main division. He's 60 years old. You know, deadlifting 700 pounds. Like, yeah, he used anabolics uh-huh. and so bad. He was honest about it, but he's still 70, 60 years old, deadlifting 700 pounds. And he goes, I'm not going to go relegate myself to the master's division. So it's just this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, it can be frustrating, but at the same time, yeah, people like us, it's important that we're out there and proliferating stuff. That's why I post clips online. I'm not trying to get people to tell me how great I am. It's like, oh, wow, Mike, that was impressive. It's like, yeah, that feels good when people do that. But I'm just trying to show people because as I get older, things are more impressive. When I was 28 doing stuff, people are like, who cares? You're 28. You know, when you're 45 doing stuff, people are like, okay, let me pay attention to that. Because a lot of guys in their 40s look like shit and they feel like crap. And like, wow, I didn't, I didn't even think that was possible. And then someone like me looks at people like Steve Maxwell and Nick Delgado. They're in their 60s and they're still crushing it. So I think it's, 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 import, as it's important to keep setting these examples. And then the people that are going to be inspired, they're going to be inspired. Don't worry about the ones who aren't. Yeah, and it's important to, to, to realize that it's much easier to maintain your health rather than to regain it. Yes. You know, and, and these, these things that you're talking about, about being, like, strong for your for your age and whatnot, all these things are accumulated, man. I mean, in poor health conditions, these, these diseases that people develop, I mean, all that's accumulated over time that could be avoided just by making really small changes 20 years ago, you know, and if you just had better better eating habits, taking the stairs instead of taking the elevator, just like little things like that add up, you know, that's what really makes a difference between your longevity. So even like adding some plant-based meals to your, to your, to your diet could add years to your life, you know? Right. Right. If you just walk a couple miles a day and add some more fruits and vegetables to your regimen, again, it's, it's similar to talking about these guys in at the refugee camp is, they're so malnourished that anything else, but reality is we have abundance in America, but people are probably even more malnourished here in terms of actual nutrition, in terms of what they're getting. So yeah, you're getting all these calories, but they're full of nothing. They're empty calories. They're not full of any nutrition. They're just causing a cortisol increase, an insulin increase, and stored body fat of junk, toxins that your body has to keep away from vital organs. So it's like we have an abundance of food, but people are not nourished just like people that have no abundance of food, they, they they may in some ways be more nourished than people over here. That's the irony of the whole thing. Yeah, we could wrap it up. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Where, where can people find out more about you? Uh, you can follow me on social media. I'm, I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, just my name, Nimai underscore Delgado. Uh, on YouTube, Nimai Delgado. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, I'm on there. Uh, also, if you know people are interested in, in doing more you know, coaching or learning more about the vegan fitness lifestyle, uh, I do run and operate a website called veganfitness.com where we offer training and nutrition advice. Um, so, yeah, just really excited to help people and uh, just really spread this message. That's that's pretty much my whole objective for, the, you know, for the future is just to help change as many lives as possible. Right. Well, that's great, man. Thank you very much for coming on all the time. Always great talking to you. And look forward to meeting up with you sometime in the near future, too. Yeah, dude. Next time I'm in Vegas or you're in L.A., let me know. And I'd love to get a workout with you. Go get some food and just shoot the shit, man. Yeah, man. Let's do it. That sounds good. You have a great one, man. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, sincere. Appreciate it, man.
You have a great one. All right, man. That was a that was a good episode to end this year on. I think that's going to be our last guest for this year. I got a couple other people lined yep. up, but you know, Christmas is around the corner and vacations are around the corner, so we'll just we'll just push those into January. January is looking solid, though. I can tell you that much. So we're gonna we're gonna go into next year with some serious momentum and and crush it all the way down the line. But you know how you can support the show. You can use that coupon code LLA. Go to MikeMahler.com or NewWarriorTraining.com. Get 10% off everything you see there. Go to Patreon. Subscribe because we're going to start adding some content. Actually, I'm going to be meeting up with Doyle. Because last year I met up with him. But (laughs) due to some technical errors, the the whole interview wasn't saved. It wasn't recorded. So this time around, I'm going to have... I'm going to do a, a fail-safe plan. I'm going to I'm going to record it on my phone talking to him, and then I'm going to have someone film us. So it's going to be a video, and then we can release that to our Patreon fans because Doyle, for those of you who don't know, he's the guitarist in the Misfits, but he also has his own band. And this guy's in his 50s. He's been vegan for, I don't know, five years, and he's jacked, jacked city. So people are always curious, what does this guy do? What's his training regimen? What's his nutrition regimen? So we're going to get into that. This time I'll make sure it's actually recorded and we'll get that episode out as some and some bonuses. And yeah, we and Mike and I've talked about, you know, digging up some old archive interviews that we've had before. Like Mike's got some even on cassette. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. So we're gonna dig I mean with some, you know, some pretty heavy hitters, you know, from the industry, some classics, man. So, you know, we're gonna convert some of those and, and upload those, but that's gonna be for our Patreon subscribers as well. And starting in 2019, you know, we're going to start doing at least one monthly Q&A session for my Patreon subscribers. So you guys on Patreon, you know, send in your questions, post them, and um, we're going to compile all of them and get as many as possible in an episode just for you guys. <clears throat> so you can talk about anything from health, fitness, hormone optimization, business, um, hell, the ch- charity work, you know, Terrible. you know, personal defense, personal defense. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> harassing telemarketers, you know, all that good stuff. How to, how to be more effective at that. Well, I'll tell you about some bonus content I'm going to put together, but I'm going to start calling back some of these telemarketers and recording it you know, for Patreon subscribers because you guys are going to find that shit funny. I guarantee it. <laughs> I know I'm going to find it funny. I don't even care if anyone else finds it funny. I'm going to have fun with that. You know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, all right, man. You can wrap it up there. You know what to do, and we'll catch you guys in the beginning of the new year. So yeah, man, have a have a good, safe holiday. We'll talk to you folks next time. Take care. Take care, Take care everyone. Bye.